Hello, ladies, and welcome to the Amazing Bible Dot Book Club. I am Julie Callio, your host, and thank you so much for taking time to listen out of your very busy schedules and take time to listen with me today. Today we're looking at Genesis chapter 2, about the garden that's found in Eden. We're going to start with verse 4, because we covered verses 1 through 3 with the creation story last time. And it starts off, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Uh, Generations, that word is used 11 times in this book, which helps to divide up the book of Genesis into 12 sections. Each section talks about a generation of a here it's the generation of the heavens and the earth we'll look at the generations of adam and other people as we go through also in this verse um, the heavens and earth when they were created in the day the day is singular it makes me think of because now that i'm older uh i've heard my parents say and now i have said back in the day It doesn't mean, again, a specific 24-hour period. We're talking about an era or a time. And so the creation was created in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. We see a difference from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2. In Genesis 1 with the creation story, we see just God, generic God. Here, we see the Lord God. And it's relational. And part of that is because he's going to be in relationship with Adam and Eve. So the name is changed. It's relational. And yet the Lord God is still the subject of this chapter. Um, He does most of the work. Toward the end, we see a glimpse of Adam being able to participate, uh, but not in the beginning. Verses 5 and 6 say that for the Lord God had not caused it to rain and not a man to till the ground. And it's the first time we see anything kind of negative, something not really complete in that sense. The Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So there wasn't a man to till the ground, so God created a man to do that. Uh, this passage actually helps me to make sense of Genesis 1.27. We read that yesterday, where it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Adam, in chapter 2, was created first. That's one of the reasons why I am not a fully egalitarian. For those who have no idea what in the world that means, that some people, some Christians, believe that everybody is is equal. They can pick whatever job they want to do, do whatever they want to do. Um, And I lean that way. But in marriage, I see a hierarchy, I guess you could say, of husband and wife, which we will get to at the end of this chapter today. 
So the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. For me, this was one of those aha moments in class. It was Old Testament one, my very first class coming back uh, to seminary 30 years later. And how did I not see that before? It's not the Garden of Eden. It's the garden that is in Eden. And it's eastward. And some of these things, we, we will see that there's a pattern as we continue in the Bible as well. And there, God put the man whom he had formed. So he formed the man first and then put him in the Garden of Eden. Verse 9, the, in that garden, there was trees. They were pleasant to the sight. They were good for food. We see the first time a tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Also, then we see and find a river that went out of Eden to water the garden. That one river broke off into four heads. It names the rivers. We know uh, two of those rivers. We don't know where or the other ones came from. But one of the things that struck me is how old these rivers are. Uh, Sometimes I think, you know, in in America, we feel like we've been around forever, but we're just babies in comparison to the world around us and the lives that they have lived and the places that have been, cities that have been around forever or for a long time, not forever. So this can be a picture image of the tabernacle. That's when we get to Moses. They build a tent for God to dwell there. And this, with the the garden being in Eden, being in the place of God, it's similar to like a holy of holies and then the holy place. And then you have outside of the holy place. And then that tabernacle with Moses becomes the temple with King David and King Solomon. And then that continues. The the temple gets um, torn down. It gets rebuilt in the history of the Jews. And then at the end of Revelation, the last two chapters, uh, I highly recommend that you read them while you're reading Genesis 1 and 2. Um, Because what we see is there's trees, there's rivers, There is no longer, though, a temple because there's the throne of God. And it's very encouraging to see how Genesis 1 can be tied to Revelation at the end. So in verse 15, the Lord God took the man, placed him in the Garden of Eden to dress it, to work it, to keep it. So work has always been a part of God's plan for humanity. This was not um, a repercussion of the fall, which we'll get into tomorrow. Work is always a part of what we are here for. God created. God has placed him. God has a plan for him. God does that with you and with me as well. Also remember that the garden still belonged to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We are called to keep it, 
To be good stewards of it is a word that's used in the New Testament. Verses 16 and 17, the Lord God commanded the man of every tree you can eat, but of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you cannot eat. Two things here. Number one, only the man was given that command. Eve, the woman, had not yet been created. Also, none of the animals, none of the other created beings, creatures, were called, were, were given that command to not eat. So again, we see the distinction between humanity and the rest of the created animals. For if Adam eats of that, for in that day that you eat, you shall surely die. And for the longest time, I struggled with that because tomorrow when we read about Adam and Eve eating, you know, they don't just plop dead on the ground. And my first thought was, did you lie, God? But when I think about the word for in that day, in that day, in that time frame, not that specific moment, what we do find is Adam does die and all of his children die. And after that, everybody else or most everybody else, they die unless there's a special thing there, which we won't go into right now. So then after the command, then and the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. If you remember yesterday when we were talking about the the days of creation. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. And at the end, it's very good. Here, there is something that is not good. And I will make him a helpmeet for him. Now, why did he need a helpmeet? Because men need help. <laughs> no. Well, yes, but no. We all need help. We all need help. Um, one of the Psalms says, um, uh, bah, bah, bah. What does it say? God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The Bible talks about God being a help and a helper all the time. Adam did need help, but so do you and so do I. Uh, we need help. So ladies, if you're in a place right now and you need help, will you ask somebody? Ask somebody for help or pray to God to place somebody in your life to help you. Because one of the things this passage shows us is that we need each other. We, there are two commands throughout the whole Bible that God cares about. One, that we worship him and two, that we treat our brothers and sisters graciously and that we love them. And so we need one another. We're not called to be alone. So God formed, brought to Adam. God formed all these different beasts and animals, verses 19 through 20. And then this is where we get Adam at least was able to call them by name. Whatever he called them, that's what they were named. But for Adam, there was not found, the King James Version says, help meet for him. None of these animals, they were not compatible. But more importantly, they weren't like him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep upon Adam, and he slept. And he took from his side his rib, and he closed up the flesh. 
And he took the rib from man and he made woman and he brought her to the man. Ladies, he didn't make another man. This isn't like bro. Hey, let's let's have a party. He brought a woman to bring completion. And again, I see distinctions between what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And when God did that, Adam said, first time we see him speak actual words, and it's a love poem. At last, at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The Hebrew word for woman is isha. And the Hebrew word for man is ish. And so you see the comparison there. Not only did he name what a woman is going to be, Isha, he also named what a man is, and that is ish. Uh, I really like, if you notice in the English, right, man, woman, uh, way back there was a Christian comedian named Mike Warnke, and he was telling this story, and it was like, and Adam said, like, Whoa, man. So we can see the similarities, the importance and the aha moment. One of the commentators that I read made comment that her value was in her alone, not in the fact that she could bring forth children. I thought that was really, that wasn't even really a thought, I don't think yet. But later it becomes a thought. Verse 24 says, therefore, what is it? What? Whenever we see therefore, what is it there for? We have in verse 24 an added piece of information. It's not a part of the storyline. Therefore, because this has happened, what is it there for? Shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall become one flesh. Then it goes back to the narrative. Both of them were naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. We'll take a closer look at what it means to be ashamed tomorrow in our lesson of the fall. One of the reasons why they were not ashamed is because they were one. It goes back to verse 24, to 24. They shall be one flesh. So let's take a look a little bit at verse 24 real quick. This verse never seemed to make sense to me because number one, Adam didn't leave his father and mother. Um, so why is it there? It, it just wasn't clinging to me, making sense to me. And it wasn't until probably 20 years ago, a um, homeschool mom in our church in Northern Illinois made comment to me and said, Julie, it does not say that the wife leaves her family. It says that the man leaves and cleaves and they become one flesh. And then again, that struck me as odd because in the Hebrew tradition, they would always go to the husband's house, you know, come to my father's house, uh, was that old song. And so why is this here? Well, I think one of the clues of what this verse means um, comes from 
the two places in the New Testament where it is listed. Matthew 19 verses 4 and 5, Jesus uses this passage when he is tested by the Pharisees about uh, divorce. And he says, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? He being God, right? And said he, and said he, who is he? God is he. And so God said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So Jesus is saying that God has put in this saying in Genesis. And so it's not like it was written somewhere for somebody to get. God told Moses, this is why. And then Jesus adds, wherefore they are no more twain, two, but one flesh. And then he adds, what God hath joined together, let man not separate. The other place that this verse is mentioned is found with Paul, and it is in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to the end And it starts off in verse 21, submit one to another as unto the Lord. And then it goes into wives and husbands um, because wives are to submit because the husband is the head of the wife. By the way, if I have any young listeners, young female listeners here, be very careful whom you marry. Don't just marry for love. Marry someone that you respect. Because I do think that the Bible tells us that we need to submit to him. And now is not the time to discuss what all that means in submission. But this, again, is one of those reasons why I am more complementarian, but I lean much more toward egalitarian. Because, and then Paul continues, Christ is the head of the church, the Savior. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this cause, Paul says, shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Who is becoming one flesh here? It is the church the bride of Christ and Christ, the son of God. And then Paul says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Ladies, so many of us that have grown up in church, we have lost the awe of this mystery. My prayers as we read through the Bible this year, we will get to see how amazing this story is. What Jesus did. Nancy Guthrie wrote a book called Discovering Jesus in the Old Testament. And she pointed out, and again, I mean, I've just read this like a month or two ago. I never saw this before. The first Adam, the one in Genesis, his rib came out of his side in order to make his bride, right? God did that. The second Adam, 
Jesus Christ was pierced in his side because of his love for his bride. And ladies, Jesus loves you. He loves you. Now going back to Jesus talking with the Pharisees, they asked him, then why does Moses allow divorce? And Jesus says, divorce is allowed because of the hardness of your hearts. Ladies, what's God calling you to do today? Do you need to reconcile either with God or with man or woman? Whoa, man. Today, ladies, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Let's be women who will obey and see the amazing things that God has done. Uh, Until next time, and thanks again for listening.